Welcome to From the Trenches, the podcast of the Association of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Division Chiefs. My name is Naftali Kaminsky, and I'm your host. Today, our guest is Dr. Lynn Schnapp. She's the chair of the Department of Medicine and George and Elaine Love, professor of medicine at the University of Wisconsin School of, of Medicine and Public Health. And also, she's a past president of the American Thoracic Society. She was a, a division chief in her past and she held many other roles at the ATS. Welcome, Lynn. Is it okay that I call you Lynn? Of course, absolutely. Okay, and you can call me whatever. <laughs> yes. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, so really, this is really exciting. Uh, you know, we're really excited about this series, and you've been involved in the Association of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Division Chiefs from the beginning, and it's really part of our aim to sort of get people familiar with the leadership and you're you know one of one of these examples of being a division chief a department chair or president of ads really the whole layers of leadership so really looking forward from you to hear from you about all of this because we try to demystify leadership um we usually ask our guests on the first question is relatively the same which is tell us something we didn't know about about you or something that will be interesting to all of us to know about you. Yeah. So I guess one thing is maybe not surprising, but I was a nerd growing up. Um, I played on the varsity math team and went to the science fair, um, did not do any sports or anything. I was probably voted the least likely to be on a team in my, in my class. And then when I was, Toward the end of my my fellowship in San Francisco, I just felt like I needed to do something and to change up my life a little bit. So I was going to the American Society for Cell Biology meeting. And at the Cell Biology meeting, you can sign up for free to uh, run a 5K and you got a free T-shirt. And so I thought, great, this is free and I get a T-shirt. Um, so I signed up and then I thought, well, if I'm going to go to the meeting and you know, get the shirt. I should I should probably do the race. And if I'm going to do the race, I should probably actually start training and see if I don't embarrass myself. So um, I started walk running, and it was, it's all because of the free T-shirt. <laughs> and so, and I have continued to, to run this. I am, I am not fast. I am consistent. Um, I try to run in races where I will not be the last person. So make sure that they're big enough so I don't get lost. But it's uh, it's been a wonderful, wonderful journey. And I understand that you took it beyond the usual running. You're actually doing triathlons now or? So I'll tell you the story of my first triathlon when I was in Seattle. Again, I'm very, I use peer pressure in a positive way. So a bunch of people I knew were signing up for the Danskin Triathlon and again, I decided, sure, I'll sign up. I don't really know how to swim, but I'll sign up. So, you know, for me, signing up gives me a goal. So I took swimming lessons. You know, I tried to prepare for it. And um, I still remember after I completed my first triathlon, one of my fellows um, gave a talk on near drowning and used pictures of me to illustrate. (laughs) (laughs) But that doesn't stop me. I think that's uh, 
in some ways, I think this may be common to most of us in academic medicine, that we handle near drowning okay. Yeah, right. Because every now and then you feel, oh God, the water is going to cover me. Yeah. And then then the grant lands in, or the institution gives you a little bit of support, or the number of patients in AD goes down miraculously, right? It's like, yeah, but every now and then you do feel, oh, oh no, this is, this is the worst time. Yeah. You got to, you got to tread water a lot. Yeah. And that's actually coming out of the pandemic and everything. And I, I do think there is a little bit of a message there. And again, if, if anybody is listening to this and you're at this stage of life that you feel you have no life, n- not a bad idea to slow down on the work side of life and, you know, run, dedicate things to other things, identify the kind of things that motivate you, right? I, I actually, I have not the same thing. I stopped running after high school and then picked up running when I was in my mid thirties in San Francisco and never regained the, the quickness, I can be persistent, but, uh, but I don't go that far. Yeah. So I think that's a, almost a theme for many of us. The other, other, for me, the take home message is, you know, I never consider myself, I I don't consider myself an athlete and uh, it was intimidating to do my first race, to do my first triathlon, um, and be able to get over that fear um, and take on a new challenge that you may not feel fully prepared for. So, and to face your fears. Yeah, exactly. So, speaking about fears, how how did you become a chief? So, um, I guess the, the the better question is why did I decide to become a chief? And for me, you know, I'm a baby boomer. And I have always been very interested in faculty development and mentorship and having, you know, making the world a better place. And when I was professor in Seattle, I remember thinking like I was, I was at the point where I was happy and satisfied with what I had done in research. Um, I felt I'd been successful and I was ready at that point in my career to derive my career satisfaction out of the success of others rather than my own success. And and for a long time, I, I was not at that point when I said, okay, I'm okay with my own personal career, but I really want to have an impact on others and to see what it's like being a division chief. So you, I'm sure you had the same discussions when you took on the division chief role as well. And I would say being division chief and actually being chair was more fun and more satisfying than I had anticipated. So I'm, I'm actually, we'll go, we'll go into this in a few seconds, but I still, I'm also interested just in the practice of it. I became chief randomly because Jeff Elias, Jack Elias met me in the elevator. And well, I'd looked at a few jobs before, but it was completely in a sort of a completely disorganized feature. Uh, so, so how does actually somebody become a, a chief? From your, also from your experience now, you're now recruiting chiefs, right? I think it starts off as people start, con- well, one, people start contacting you to see if you're interested in being a division chief. And then so it sort of puts that seed in your mind. Like it wasn't something that I was 
had been thinking about until people started putting out feelers. And then it made me start thinking, okay, what do I want to, is that something I want to think about and do? I talked to a number of other division chiefs and my mentors uh, a bit, and then I looked at some jobs and I realized, you know what, I could do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think I'd be good at it. So I I took the leap. It's, well, it's never easy with moves and other things and sort of changing the focus of careers. But did you like it immediately? Like, okay, you landed in MUC and I said, oh, this is like my dream job or? Yeah, so I think there were, you know, there were, there were bits, bits and starts. I think I was, you know, looking back, reflecting back, I'm proud of how I navigated a change in culture. I think when you go to a new place, you may think you know everything that's going on or the issues, um, but you never do in in any job. There's always going to be surprises. And I think I really felt like I had a impact on the division and was able to really to to move it in a direction that aligned with my vision, which is, which is also aligned with my department chair's vision, which is one of the reasons why I chose to go there. I, I want to give big shout out to my faculty and the fellows there because it really, I mean, you need a good team in order to be successful. You know, I, I think it took, you know, there are some adjustments going from Seattle to moving to the South. Just uh-huh. Of a you know overall culture, and then uh, the other words of wisdom that uh, one of my mentors once told me is, "You've seen one academic medical center, you've seen one academic medical center." Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So just trying to figure out how things worked and who was responsible for what, and understanding the role of the the department and the division within the health system and in the school. So there's a, you know a tremendous amount of learning and growth. But I, I say yes, I, I have enjoyed it. I did enjoy it. Any like memorable moments or proud moments or something that stands out? So I think, you know, especially as I was leaving for um, Wisconsin, you know, looking back at the division and feeling really proud of the programs that I had built, we, you know, as a division chief, I was able to oversee, we got our first our faculty got our first career development awards ever. We actually mm-hmm. got our first T32 for the program. Wow. Um, was delighted when D Ford, one of my faculty, took on the division chief. So able to make sure that I left left the division in a stronger position than when I took it over. And I think Dr. Ford has, has continued to let that division thrive and really grow. So. I think what, you know, for anything that you build, you want to make sure it's sustainable after you leave. And so that's what I'm most proud of. And then a little bit, let's go maybe temporarily. So so you reach a certain stage and then you feel you're ready for the next big role, right? The department chair. So how does it go? Well, I don't think you ever feel ready. It's like there's always this uncertainty. Um, And I would say for especially, again, for being department chair, 
people started reaching out to me. You know, I was been involved in ATS. I've had leadership roles in ATS, so I'm well well known in the communities. And I had done ELAM, uh, Executive Leadership in Academic Medicine, also spending a network. So people were putting my name out there. And again, I was like, well, sure, I'll look at a job. I'm not really interested in moving. You know, it's not, wasn't, wasn't on my timeline. And then once I started looking, again, realizing, yeah, you know what? I could do this. Hmm. And for me, also, it was an opportunity to have a greater influence. Again, as division chief, I I really enjoyed the career development and mentorship, um, but I also found that I really enjoyed the administrative role and the strategic planning and working with the health system and influencing other programs. Um, And for me to have a greater influence and impact, uh, the next logical step would be um, department chair. And then, and how would you say to the people that are not chiefs or chairs, what is the difference between the jobs or what, what is the. Between being a division chief and a department chair? Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I, I can tell you from my point of view, which is I get to have all the fun and my chair suffers, but uh, I'm just joking. Well, I, I will flip it around. So <laughs> I have to think of it, you know, as a division chief, it's why I like critical care versus primary care. When you're primary care, like people come in with rashes or sores or this hurts or that hurts. And it's like, you know, it can deal with that. But in, you know, the ICU, they're sick. They're okay. critically ill. As division chief, you get from a, um, you know, dealing with, with people, there's a lot of, issues of that impact individuals that are important, um, but things like who's taking call, how many weekends this one has, that one has, et cetera. And from a, a management issue, being a department chair, you only get the really bad stuff. Okay. So I feel like it's, you know, like I'm needed. It is, I do miss, you know, having that, that, you know, more intimate hands-on over, with the 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 actual division um you know i miss more of the the intimacy of a being a division chief right. i think that is wonderful and i do miss that but i also have the opportunity to have a greater influence over all of the divisions in the department and um have a much greater influence and role in the overall health system and the school of medicine which i've enjoyed and of the of your leadership jobs of course, you were ATS president. You, you were many things, and and I still remember you as a highly, extremely effective RCMB chair, right? So, so um, is there a job that looks more like a, a hobby, let's say, something that you really enjoy and is fun? Because I I can tell you, for me, like the best job I had was actually program chair. I was going to say that, too. (laughs) Yeah. So being program chair actually was a lot of fun because it's very, very concrete in some ways. Yeah. And you have a product to show at the end of it. You know, you have the the programming at the meeting and you know what your job is. And 
Yeah, there's a lot of enthusiasm. You see just new stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and you get to influence the meeting. You get to, you know, have a role in, in what's being presented. So um, I think bringing program chair was a lot of fun. You know, I, I had a, a, a lot of fun as RCMB chair. Um, and But that is, you have to make more, that really takes more, I think, individual effort because it's a little bit less prescribed of what that role is. So you really have to take the initiative on activities and, and programs for that. And if you do it right, it's a lot of fun. It's great, yeah. yeah. I think as, I, I think the way the ATS is built in the assembly system is ideal because you sort of, you people come through grassroots, you get engaged in the way you want. For certain stages in your life, you can't be Engage because you're busy with others, and it's acceptable that you come free. And, and I, I, def, I love the structure of the ETS because it's so good for membership. Yeah, um, I, I will say I think the other thing I would recommend there's sort of two parallel structures within ATS. There's the assemblies, and then there's the committees. And I think it's important to get to be involved in both because the assemblies are very, you know, one track, whereas the committees often are more expansive and give you a broader view of the organization. So actually, if this, again, tell me a little bit about, you know, when you were ATS president, what was your focus? What were the high points? I say the focus was survival. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it was a different uh, presidency and a different uh, term on the executive committee than uh, I was anticipating because, you know, smack towards the beginning, we got hit with COVID and everything just got turned topsy-turvy. Right. The highlight, I'd say absolutely, was our meeting in San Francisco last year and being in person and just seeing everybody again was so wonderful. And I really missed that. Yeah. Well, the meeting was I can definitely relate to that. But how, so how did you actually tell us a little bit behind the scenes? So you're on one side, you're a chair thinking about all, all the pandemic. And now the organization that you're going to be a president of next year basically is hit with this drama, right? So yeah. did you have a situation room? Did you activate? What, what, what did the ATS actually do? Well, you know, I think the nice thing about ATS and about the leadership, it's not just the president. We really work as a team on the executive committee and work, you know, work with the staff with, you know, Karen Kalashaw as the AEO and all of our other senior leadership. So it is not one person out there trying to figure everything out. So we had, we all gathered strength um, from each other. You know, we've always had, we have weekly um, executive committee meetings. So that was structure was already in place. Much of our discussions ended up focusing on how are we going to be transitioning, uh, particularly in the first two years. Well, first year was in March when it, or January, February, March. Are we going to have a meeting? What's going to happen? What, what are our preparations? What's our no go, no go for a, a meeting in person? A right. um, lot of discussion about that. And then once we made the decision to transition to a virtual meeting, how are we going to operationalize it and give the staff incredible amount of credit because they really 
took that on and made it happen. And we created a lot of infrastructure that wasn't there (laughs) a short time ago. And so, you know, how do we keep our members engaged? I still remember the weekly calls with the division directors at the beginning of uh, during COVID. We were doing that weekly then, Naftali? Yeah, we we did it weekday, Sunday night. I was surprised. Sunday night, yep. And people stayed till 10 p.m. on uh, Eastern time without – people stayed on, actually. Yeah, so it was really how to provide a forum for our members who are at the forefront of COVID to be able to learn from each other, gain expertise, gain support, develop those Sunday evenings. Uh, Naftali, you had a big part in that made sure we started having much more uh, online content, webinars, podcasts, et cetera, developed guidelines and working statements about um, treatment for COVID. Uh, Kevin Wilson and the documents committee really worked hard on that. To, and, and, and really, a lot of our timelines just got accelerated, I would say, tenfold out of necessity. So pushed us out of our comfort zone a bit, which you know, it was good and forced a lot of changes on us uh, and, you know, accelerated change, some of the changes, accelerated some of the changes that needed to be done. And we all hope that D.C. will be a record year in attendance. And, uh, yes, Washington, D.C., um, it's, well, it's a great place to have a meeting. So hope everybody will be there. It should be a lot hope, of work. I Hopefully it's really the coming together. Last year we still had a well, I had to herniate the disc, but uh, <laughs> but we had, we had uh, still the clouds of the pandemic, and uh, hopefully they sort of clear up a little bit when people travel. I think it would be exciting. There's so much good uh, good stuff going in pulmonary and critical care and sleep, you know, science and and career development and education. You just when I look at the I tell the residents and the fellows, I'm not saying that your life is easier. But I have education envy when I look at what you get. Right? <laughs> you know, how much people pay attention to the fact that you actually get the education you need to get. Right. Yeah. And uh, so I think it's, yeah, it's just exciting to be in our discipline now. Well, and I think what, what San Francisco illustrated to me is the value of our community and, and being together. While we can get a lot of the didactics through other means, whether it's, you know, webinars or recordings, et cetera. There, you know, there is unmeasurable value of that networking, of being together, and that Brownian motion of, of running into people in the hallways and starting discussions, et cetera. So being in San Francisco really illustrated how important it is for us to come together as a community and the value that brings. Yeah, I completely agree. As, as somebody who's been openly advocating for hybrid and virtual meetings, there's a value it, definitely in the in-person, but there's also a value in the big meeting that you feel you're part of something that's bigger than you. And, you know, at, at Yale, the first-year fellows, our men have to go to the ATS, right? That's part of the training. And some people have challenged me and say, what's the point? They still, they don't know what they're doing yet. And I say, yes, but they come back so inspired. Because yeah. you feel, and I think, and as you become more senior, you also need these 
excitement injections, right? To be part of this bigger thing. So yeah. I, I completely agree. Yep. So one more question that I wanted to ask you before I ask you the last one is, is beyond career, but looking at impact, what's next for you? What are the big things you want to change or impact? I'm sorry. I was just saying, like, in case anybody, I'm not going anywhere. So I just want to reassure my faculty. Yeah, I'm not thinking. <laughs> so, you know, one of the things I am interested in, like, what do I do after your ATS president? You know, it's it's a it's an interesting quandary um, because I've done all the leadership roles in ATS pretty much, um, and how do I how do I stay involved? And I it's something that I'm thinking about. Uh, I do, I am very interested and I have done um, some work on actually continuing as faculty in ELAM and working with the AAMC uh, in terms of career development programs. And I think it's an exciting time for ATS uh, as we are, we have a new chief learning officer um, for ATS and restructuring education and career development and you know, trying to stay involved with that. Uh, I've also gotten more involved in ATS and understanding our MECOR program um, and uh, working with our international communities. So that's um, so that's been fun for me, and would love to figure out how to expand my role in those domains. That makes sense. Well, you could always uh, next year replace me in this podcast if you want. <laughs> so so and then I we, I got I got booted from the pro, from the association because I'm no longer a division chief. I thought you, you get it for life. I uh, yeah. Okay. We talk about that one. <laughs> yeah, I think I know the people who wrote the bylaws, so I think we could try to change this. I think department chairs should still count. I I, I actually think. By the way, I'm I'm a member of this weird interurban clinical club, which is sort of one of these physician scientists defined by exclusion type of committees. You know, you have to be nominated. The cool thing, because the number of people, members is limited by the bylaws, after five years, you are allowed to be, become an emeritus. All right. So if you want somebody from your institution to become a member, you have to retire. Yeah. Right. So it's a cool. So I did it. Right. And uh, so I think that's we could do like emeriti chief or whatever we call it. Yes. Honorary members. Try to finish the the podcast the same, actually asking the same question, and hopefully one day somebody will do a qualitative project on this. And <laughs> basically, um, it's a reflecting question. As a, if you had the opportunity to go back to your time and speak with yourself as a resident, or you could go a little bit earlier if you wish, let's do that. What advice would you give to yourself? Yeah. Well, I, I guess, you know, it's funny. If you look at my CV, it looks impressive and it keeps on it going. Yeah, it is impressive. And and it looks like I'm going from A to B to C um, straight up. And what's not reflected in a CV is all of the the challenges, the rejections, the disappointments, that came along the way. So it is not a continuous upward trajectory. It is up and down, up and down. And so what I would say to myself, my my younger self, is that it's going to be okay and to be resilient and take 
failure and disappointment as a learning opportunity, and it it has all worked out for me. I will say at every step of the way, I have encountered you know, disappointment, rejection, professional and personal challenges that I've grown from and learned from. And I guess I would tell myself not to be too hard on myself. In times of failure, that is an opportunity for growth. Wow. So don't be too hard on yourself. And in times of failure, this is an opportunity for growth. I, that's beautiful. That's fantastic. So thank you, Lynn. Thanks. All right. Take care. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thanks. And bye. really, this was fun. <laughs> Anytime. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Dr. Schnapp. This episode is From the Trenches, was brought to you by the American Thoracic Society and the Association of Pulmonary Critical Care and Sleep Division Chief. If you enjoyed this podcast, please like, rate, review, and subscribe to follow us on the ATS website or on your favorite podcast application. Thanks again for listening, and don't miss our next episode where we meet Dr. Herazo Maya.